Good morning. Welcome to the Mr. Relevant Podcast. It's Monday, November 30th, several days after the Washington football team's Thanksgiving Day win at Dallas. Here to talk about that, it's the Terry McLaurin and my Jalen Smith, Matt Terrell. Hey, Matt. Hey, Jamie. How are you? I'm good, man. So that was the chase down reference. Yeah, no, I, I got it. I liked it. I was I was waiting for you to say something about how I inadvertently deleted our entire last podcast that no one here has heard. So I appreciate you going this route instead. Podcast wasn't that good. We talked about the Cincinnati win. We talked about the Mandalorian. We talked about some obscure Blink-182 podcast that you listened to. We did, although that retroactively turns out to have been a pointless waste of time because they relaunched uh, as something else and rebranded, so they can take the encomium I gave them and shove it. Washington won on Thanksgiving Day by 25 points at Dallas to move into, temporarily, move into sole possession of first place in the NFC East. What a day. Uh, You know, you joke, but I really enjoyed it. I thought that this was arguably the most enjoyable um, Washington football win since I probably the RG3 era or something. Several years. Yeah. Several years. I mean, it's been three years since they were like decent. I don't know, two or three years since they've been decent. So just that alone, uh, you know, lowers the bar. Uh, Of course, I think this is like the pinnacle. I think I think the Giants winning yesterday to retake first place uh, is is the is kind of the the progression this is going to take downward for the rest from from here. Uh, but that was just a sweet and unexpected uh, moment in a otherwise dreary season. The Skins or the Washington Football Team stand at four and seven, as do the Giants. Uh, the Cowboys are at three and eight. The Eagles play tonight. They're still three, six and one. I still think six wins is going to win this division, which is awesome. I love that there's going to be a six, six and 10 playoff team. And it's going to be an NFC East team, hopefully Washington, but it's tough because the deck stacked against Washington. If the giants get the six wins, they have the tiebreaker. If the Eagles get the six wins, they've got the tie. Uh, so I think this, that Washington will have to win two out of five from here and catch a break to be the lone six win team in the division. I think the break is going to have to be an additional win, but here's the part where I start drinking the Kool-Aid. I think they might be able to do it. I think they look, I I genuinely think they look like the best team in the division, which is a bad division. Well, maybe I think that could be true. I just don't think that they're going to go three and two. I think a two and three finish is a reach. I mean, it, we, it was it was like a four point game against Dallas, who stinks. They all stink. All of the wins a, come against bad teams. They come the, the Washington Washington's wins, <laughs> two against Dallas, one against Philly, and then the only outside division win was Cincinnati. I mean, how can we say that they're better than mediocre at best? We can't. But I have not felt this optimistic about their players and about their general coaching direction in i, I don't know a decade uh, something like yeah. that eight years i mean they have young good players who play hard they don't they're not just like nominally talented they're they're you know effort guys i think it's significant that that the biggest arguably 
biggest play that McLaurin made on Thanksgiving was a tackle off an interception uh, that was basically an effort play. And I think, yes, they're going to need breaks, but you know what? They're already lining up with one break where instead of getting the Steelers on 10 days rest, they're going to get them on a short week um, coming off of multiple COVID, uh, you know, diagnoses. I'd like, can, do I think they can beat the Steelers in an evenly matched game? Absolutely not. Zero chance. Um, but with a few breaks and play, if they play the game of their life next week and the Steelers struggle or stumble or anything, maybe they can keep it close and then maybe they get a break and they win. And if they were to somehow win that game, which nobody, I mean, I don't think they're going to win, but you know, if they were to somehow do it, all of a sudden the calculus for the rest of the year looks drastically different. I don't know. I, they, I was really impressed by the Thursday win. I guess if we were going to do a, how seriously do you take this? I think I actually took it pretty seriously. Clearly. I mean, you seem, you seem high, if I'm being honest. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I bought this coffee. It's this Starbucks coffee with golden turmeric in it, and it is arguably the most disgusting coffee I've ever had in my life. So uh, who knows? Maybe that's, that's I, really messing me up. I think I smoked golden turmeric once uh, in Colorado. Uh, the bud tender recommended it. There you go. I, I've never been to, uh, when I lived in Colorado, we didn't have dispensaries and I regret that to this very day. Let me back up to the McLaurin chase down. Great play. I think we'll remember that play as long as we remember Terry McLaurin, you know, it's like a signature moment for him. Uh, but more impressive is that he has almost a thousand yards already in 11 games in this offense. He's fourth in the NFL, and he was first heading into Sunday, but fourth after kind of completion of the week at 963 yards receiving. I don't even know how that's possible in this offense. They've had a, a three-headed monster of Haskins, Allen, Smith at quarterback. Smith had like 150 yards passing on Thursday, two-thirds of them to McLaurin. I, he's just a special player, and of like all the things to be excited and optimistic about, I think he's number one. He's definitely number one, I think, by a fairly wide margin. Um, I guess for me, the the various young defensive players are probably uh, lumped at number two. Um, where do you put Antonio Gibson on your list of things to be excited about? I'm extremely high on Antonio Gibson because, like, I haven't watched a ton of Washington this this year, um, and maybe I'm skewed by have watch, watching every snap on Thursday when he scored three touchdowns, <laughs> but I just, I'm delighted that they have a running back who you don't know if they're going to hand it to him or throw it to him. What was the last time they had a, a running back that could just check those two simple boxes, like a primary back. God, I mean, so it can't possibly be Kelvin Bryant 30 years ago. can it? <laughs> well, I take it back to, I took it back to Portis just because, he would at least get like 45, maybe 40 catches a year. And like, you didn't know if he was would in there. Really? I don't yeah, picture Portis. I, I don't picture him like that at all. I'm, I'm sure to, you're right. Mathematically, I'm going to have to look but... this up. I, I remember a little bit of like a receiving threat there, but I mean, Gibson's on another level. Like they split him out wide and you know, it's a, it's a whole different, he's just a modern, maybe even like more than modern running back and seems to be not only uh, like, you know, relatively fast, but also like 
powerful. Like he just yeah. seems like a, you know a total package running back that you can use in all sorts of ways. And he's got eleven touchdowns through eleven games. Uh, yeah, McLaurin and Gibson are one and two for me as like in terms of what to be most excited about. In part because I'm not so sure about the defense. Like interesting. I don't know. They look great against Dallas, who didn't have a tackle, not let alone two tackles, but they had no tackles. Uh, it's it's a bad team. I feel like they they show out against the really bad teams, and their overall defensive metrics are good. Like not just in terms of like yardage or or whatever, but also in DVOA. Like they're a top ten defense. But I don't see that. <laughs> like I don't see that when I watch them. And I don't see that in terms of the outcomes of the games. Like they're giving up almost 20 points a game in the first half of the season. Do you think this is a good defense is my, is my question. I think they're shaping up into one. I think everybody on the team coaching players, all phases of the ball have been steadily improving throughout the season with the possible exception of Chase Young, who started reasonably strong and I think has not uh, improved at the same level as the rest of the team, but that's because he started at a higher place. But I mean, I think that's part of why I'm so excited is that like Gibson at the start of the year was clearly figuring it out. He was not the, the, the Gibson you saw Thursday was not what he looked like at the start of the year. Um, the he the play more touches as well. I mean, I think it goes hand in hand, but he was used more sparingly early. Yeah. But that's the thing is it goes hand in hand, which reflects a competent coaching staff that was like, at the start of the season, you know, we have enough faith in him to get rid of Adrian Peterson, and we know that he's going to be our guy eventually, but they, you know, staggered his responsibilities. That's a great callback, by the way. I forgot that we had Peterson until, like, August. Maybe yeah. September. <laughs> well, and, and so part of what I think is so exciting about both McLaurin and Gibson is that um, they're both drafted. They're both sort of – you can look at them and be like, hey, our guys seem to have seen something – uh, that the rest of the league didn't. And even if they didn't see it on draft day, you know, I, I don't know if you remember when they drafted McLaurin, all the talk was like, oh, you know, he's going to be a core special teamer. He's really just an effort guy who's going to be great on special teams. That at wow. least, And at least they had the sense in training camp when they saw him, they're like, wait a second, we've got something here. And, you know, you could argue that uh, RG3 and Alfred Morris was sort of a similar situation, but I, I feel like with Morris at the time and in the years since there was just this kind of sense that like he was good, but it was mostly the scheme that, that he was really scheme dependent and, and he was not, they hadn't uncovered a gem so much as they had uncovered somebody who was a perfect fit. It was a classic Shanahan situation of, you know, some sixth round running back doing it. Whereas I feel like with Gibson and McLaurin for the first time in, in my recollection, possibly ever, Washington has skill position players who are homegrown, who, if you told me, you know, if you told me that five years from now, they'd be out of the league and nothing, it would be like, well, whatever, that's what always happens. But if you told me that five years from now, both these guys were sort of perennial Pro Bowl candidates and really, you know, solid league leading contributors at their respective positions, I would believe you. And I don't remember the last time we had that. I mean, it, it doesn't mean anything, but the, the Washington has relevant fantasy studs like McLaurin and Gibson are fantasy studs right now they're like wide receiver one running back one type of guys the last time that happened I don't know it must have been RG3 time it must have been yeah. like 2012 it, it would have been it would have been and there like the the wide receivers were Garcon and Jackson who were both these kind of like 
you know, <laughs> solid twos. Yeah. What did you say? Wide receiver twos, but yes, also like free agent acquisitions. Yeah, they were free agent acquisitions. Exactly. And and mm-hmm. and Garcon reflected some sense of like they saw more potential in him than he had previously shown. But Jackson was just a classic Washington signing. Um, I don't know. It just well, everything about this feels different than previous years. Um, well, McLaurin and Gibson hitting as draft picks is gigantic because they were third round draft picks. And all of the high-end draft capital that Washington has had has been spent on the defense, specifically on the front seven. I mean, Chase Young, Deron Payne, John Allen, Montez Sweat, that's four first-rounders in four years, I think. I'd have to check, check the books on that, but I think that's accurate. Correct. Average although... draft is, average draft, I mean, Sweat was like a trade in late-round first Correct. pick, but like, I mean, Young, Allen, Payne those dudes had like an average draft position of like seven. Yeah. That sounds and, right to me. And they're, it's all encouraging. Like young look great. Pain look great. I mean, the whole defense looked pretty solid on, on Thursday. Um, and I think that the way that they're being talked about is very positive, but like none of these dudes have made a pro bowl, let alone an all pro team. And like, I, I just feel like we need to see that. And not only that, but we need to see them like shut down a good offense. Like it's Pittsburgh next week. Like, due to Pittsburgh, what you just did to Dallas and Cincinnati and their backup quarterbacks. And then we're talking. Sure. But, I mean, it is it is a classic. You can only play the people you're playing situation. So let's see what they do to Pittsburgh. But I, I do think the first step in becoming dominant defense is dominating the bad teams. And we haven't – Washington hasn't had that for years. Um, well, okay. So if, if also, like, looking at who they have played. They're four and seven. Their point differential is only minus two. Like that's pretty good. That's that's you know that's as close as five hundred as you can get from a point differential. Now like, again, there's two games against Dallas that threw that off, but they had some really close losses against New York and Detroit. I think I think those three were all close losses, and they're probably like in terms of like what their uh, what's it called like the Pythagorean record. It's probably more like five and six, maybe six and five. So I don't know. Maybe they are slightly better than what I'm giving them credit for. Uh, but, you know, they still have to go out and win two or three out of the next five. They do. And, and they're starting slow left them in a, a bad position for, you know, for where we would like them to be right now. But, you know, uh, I don't know. I like, I'm, I'm optimistic. Also, we didn't mention that um, some of their lower drafted guys, like, you know, Cam Curl looks promising for a seventh round safety. Um, a lot of Cam Curl chatter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the, there's um, the, what's his name? That Kaleki, whatever his name is, Hudson. Is that his name? Um, he, he, you know, looked decent in, on special teams in, on Thursday's game, if they can get hits, even minor hits on guys like that, and they get, you know, you get, I don't know, what would you, what would, you, so if Gibson is a home run in the third round, what would you consider Chase Young? Like a, a solid stand up double or something with his pick? At this point? Yeah. I mean, can't give him anything more than a base hit. Maybe okay. a walk. I mean, I just feel like he's got to be an all pro. And at number two, you, you've got to, I mean, he's shown that he could become an all pro, but like, yeah, and that's I'm, I'm very annoyed at this point by the Chase Young conversation because there was like 
slight whisperings or rumblings of like, is he a bust? And now there's like a backlash to that where I feel like everyone who's inside like the, the Washington media bubble is like, it's ridiculous that anybody would talk about him as a bust. And it's like, oh, is it? He was the number two overall pick as a defensive lineman. And he pretty much has to be like a several time all pro or several time pro bowler to not be a bust. So like he's not there yet. He's not he's not even there to making it once. Well, I mean, he can only possibly be on his way to making it once because it's still his first season. I don't know. I'm I'm still optimistic on him. I'm not. Um, I, I don't right, know. I'm how just saying, could... like, like if you're going to be like the like staunch defender of like the Chase Young pick, like he should be an All Pro this year, and he's definitely sure. not going to be. Sure, I think he might make the Pro Bowl this year. Maybe he might. He might. And, and here's the: I'm not writing him off by any stretch. I'm just not saying it's like, oh, that was a great pick. Like it's just like you don't know. It's up in the air. It's, I mean, he's drawn double teams. Well, he's so he, productive. Here's where I think we're where I think I'm at on this season that leads to my question for you. Um, is you know, like we said, the I, I think they're on the up. I think that they need some help to make the playoffs. I think there's actually some an argument to be made that the their best case scenario is actually to miss the playoffs. Uh, but continue to look on the up on the season. But then the question is, I think, what do you, what are you starting to think they need to do heading into next season? Well, how are you envisioning the off season going? Well, let me just look at this season first. I, I think like them tracking towards say five or six wins is positive. That's plus two or three from last year all the different things that we're excited about. We didn't even mention like the offensive line is playing at a pretty decent level. You got like, we didn't say Logan Thomas's name. He's encouraging. Um, whatever. It's, it's like, a, I think it's a positive season so far just from a, you know, where we were to where we are standpoint. Uh, the fact that Haskins was treated like trash, like he maybe he is trash, but I still I feel like we still don't know for sure. Uh, that's that drags that that puts a drag on the season because you have no franchise quarterback going forward. And Alex Smith, great story that he is, and maybe he'll come back. I mean, dude, there's a ceiling on Alex Smith. Uh, there's a total ceiling, like th- and he's like 38. <laughs> um, that that put that that really drags down the season. But like counteracting that is, is I th- I'm just delighted that it's December. And they're more or less tied for first place. I don't care. Well, I do care that they're a losing team and that they'd be an historically bad playoff team. But that's so delightful, like that they could show progress and give us like the joy and kind of the interest of like contending for a playoff spot, even if it's like a one in three chance at this point. Um, And by the way, you mentioned like it's probably in their best interest to not make the playoffs. Bullshit. Come on, like you don't want, you don't want a, a playoff game? I want only it. come around like once every five years. I want it. I definitely want it as a fan. I, if nothing else, I just want one extra game. But uh, looking at it pragmatically from the team standpoint, the the way the draft order is structured, the the diminishment from where you would be if you go six and ten and make the playoffs versus six and ten and miss the playoffs is is a significant, you know seven or eight spots or something probably I um I, I don't want an 18th like defensive end who's gonna get like five sacks well that kind <laughs> so of tired so tired of drafting non-impact players that kind of leads to where to where i'm 
wondering because uh, yes, your description of the quarterback situation is a hundred percent accurate. However, I think there's an interesting version of the off season where they return next year with the same three quarterbacks or at least um, two of the same three. And it could honestly be any two of the three and they focus all of their, um, you know, off season capital on the secondary and the offensive line, maybe. Um, And I think that has the potential to like, basically I think they're at the point where they can start filling holes instead of just having this sort of like wide open canvas of just like, honestly, anybody you pick up is going to be better than who is there. Um, And, you know, maybe another year of Haskins in this system, maybe if there's an actual offseason in person, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe. But I'd be interested to see what happens, you know. I I don't know. I I am definitely part of the brainwashed crew who was, like, encouraged to see him, you know, cheering on Alex Smith on Thursday. Yeah, I I remember picked him up on the sideline. Yeah, I like that. Because the the biggest knock against the guy has been that he's this, like, immature pouting brat allegedly and so seeing that was like okay you know he's he's doing the bare that, that, that 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 warmed my still beating heart i just feel like to, to recap there are fewer holes in the roster it would be nice to address some of the secondary issues um maybe linebacker but quarterback is a canyon you know like i if we come back with the same three quarterbacks or or two of the three, it's just another year of not knowing who your quarterback is. Uh, well, that's, I mean, that's rough. You know, that's another year of basically your ceiling is just like trying to to compete for a fringe playoff spot, and you you don't really have much hope of being a true contender. At what point do we have to take Alex Smith's? sort of insane win-loss record seriously? I take it seriously. I just think he's 38 and uh, kind of a limited version of himself. I, I don't disagree. Um, I guess I guess my feeling... By the way, he might get older every time I say his age. I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's like 35 or 40. I certainly <laughs> do. I, I get older every time. He was drafted myself. in 05, I think. So. Yes. He was, he was drafted alongside Jason Campbell. Yeah. Um, I, uh, and Aaron Rodgers, I, I just, I, maybe, maybe my slight optimism for Haskins is, is coloring my opinion on the quarterback that I, I, you know, cause I, my dream for next year is that unless you somehow wind up with a no brainer, like prodigy starter that you have an Alex Smith handoff to a younger quarterback, but I'm fine if that younger quarterback still turns out to be Haskins. Uh, I, or yeah, Alan, I mean, maybe? I'd be Question I'd be mark? fine if there's some indication. If there's some indication from anyone that Haskins was like a special talent, then that would be great. Be like, yeah, we're running it back with Alex Smith. You know, we we had a positive season last year. He was very more than capable, probably even better this year. And it'll be like, you know, we'll be incubating the Dwayne Haskins experience. It, but there's no indication. From from the team, at least that like he figures into their plans. Well, I, I mean, mean they yeah. benched his ass and shopped him around, and there was no market, and he's basically only the backup because Allen got hurt. Yeah, but because of the limitations and how the team is covered this year, and how people are getting their information, and how information is leaking, I feel like we're not hearing as much as we used to, either pro or con. 
And so until that stuff starts coming out, which I kind of don't expect until the off season, um, I, I just, I just don't know that we know anything. So I'm going to stick to my lunatic optimism for the day. I'm trying, you know, trying to turn over a new leaf here at the end of 2020 and uh, I'm, I'm all for it. Haskins Smith and what's his name? 2021. Hooray. Well, the one thing, one thing that gives me some uh, hope just in the near term is here's the Giants final five games. Seahawks, Cardinals, Browns, Ravens, Cowboys. So they play four teams that at least have a winning record and then Dallas. So if we're just going to play the, like, you know, who's going to be favored card, like they're probably one and four when you look at that schedule. And somehow, you know, now they have won three in a row. They have beaten three bad teams in a row, you know, so they're, they're playing well, but you know, they have a tough stretch there. Washington's final five is, you know, Pittsburgh, San Francisco, Seattle, Carolina, Philly, with San Francisco starting Nick Mullins. Yeah, but San Francisco, I think, I think if Washington beats San Francisco, I would chalk it up as one of the biggest upsets in team history ever at any point because I think. Kyle Shanahan, who I generally view as an incredibly good offensive mind, I think he makes it his mission whenever Washington is on his schedule to abjectly destroy this team. And I think Trent Williams is going to be doing the same thing. And I think you could be starting a quarter. I think that guy from the Broncos uh, Sunday could be starting a quarterback, and Shanahan would still be trying to put up 42 on Washington. Like, by the way, I. I, That was was crazy. A A dude who was like, a ACC level quarterback. He wasn't like a four year starter, but played some at Wake Forest. An ACC level quarterback gets thrown into the NFL fire, and his and his numbers are one for nine, with like whatever five yards. <laughs> like, and, yeah. and watching it, it didn't look any prettier than that. Yeah, I mean, people. I, I keep hearing that. I will point out that it is. All of those things. Also, an undrafted rookie who did, had no rapport with no anybody practice. on the team, who yeah. had no practice, literally no practice, found out this was happening the night before the game. So I yeah. do think there's a little more to it than, you know, has been the way it's been spun. But yes, it was it was certainly a strong testament to how good the well, good quarterbacks are. Back, back to the Washington schedule. I think I think the, the, I think Washington has a type. <laughs> I think it's not just that they can beat bad teams is they they can hang with teams that don't have a high-powered offense and looking at this schedule i think steelers and seahawks are the only two where i'm like there there's no way i would be legit shocked if they won those games san francisco carolina philly i'm not saying they're going to win those games but those feel like toss-up games see i don't i don't think san francisco is a toss-up i think i think pittsburgh because of the schedule stuff and because of those sorts of things is the only hope of the three likely losses i think that you gotta hope that pittsburgh's just exhausted and has covid and whatever else um Mm -hmm. i I just don't see i don't because i agree with you on on the seahawks and i mean you know there's the counterpoint that the seahawks defense has been terrible could could it turn into one of those weird alex smith 370 yard games and a shootout I mean, I feel like Alex Smith is only going to get a 370-yard game if the other team is playing pretty good defense. 
Well, I mean, like, isn't that what the Seahawks allegedly do? More or less? <laughs> maybe, maybe. You know, Alex Smith only has three touchdown passes against five picks. That's pr- I pretty wild. I didn't know that, but that sounds yeah. about right. I mean, that's, you know, it, it fits with my general picture of the whole thing. I mean, I do think it's interesting that yet again, even with Jay Groot gone, we are uh, yet again counting on Colt McCoy to help get this team to a playoff berth. Um <laughs> Uh, that was yeah. That's weird that Colt came in for Daniel Jones and and sealed the win, I guess, against Cincinnati, who looked terrible and was playing a guy a quarterback who I haven't even heard of, even though he played against Washington two weeks ago. No, he didn't. Um, this, this was they, they started a oh, different guy. A guy. Yeah, who, they who, started. Who did they put in against Washington. They put in uh, Finley against Washington, and then they put uh, in I think Brandon Allen. Allen this time. Okay, yeah. that's why I hadn't heard of him. <laughs> two, yeah. two very nondescript backup quarterbacks. Yeah, they, they're really uh, they're they're at the equivalent of one of those really mediocre Chinese so, buffets you go to, where you're like, well, everything's awful, but there's a lot of it. And then just the Eagles, they have Seattle tonight, and then they've got Green Bay, New Orleans, Arizona. Tough, tough so he, trio. But they finished with the Dallas fear. and Washington. Here's the fear with the Eagles tonight for me is that they start Jalen Hurts and he looks better. He looks salvageable. Um, that, 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 suck. that would be bad because <laughs> I think the Giants losing Daniel Jones, while I don't think Daniel Jones is like a world beater by any means, I think he's better than Colt McCoy. And I think he gives him a better chance to win than Colt McCoy does. So if Jones is out for a few weeks, that helps Washington. But if the Eagles figure out that Wentz is just playing terribly this year and replace him, that hurts. So we shall see. How many, two, two questions. Uh, what do you think Washington's record ends up being? And is it good enough to win the NFC East? They're what, four and seven right now? Yes. Uh, I mean, my head thinks they probably wind up at best at six and 10 and don't make the playoffs. Um, my heart wants to get them to seven and nine, but I think they get to six and 10. I think I'm, I'm going to remember this when it happens. If they go six and 10 and don't make the playoffs, I'll be happy with that. Just because I think, I think winning two of the last five shows that they were like competitive you know, like they were, they were, they played decent down the stretch, and even if well, like they didn't get, they didn't get the help they needed, like finishing six and ten would be a win for the season. Well, I'll, I'll I'll take it one small step further. I agree with your general point. As long as the wins come against the teams they should beat, and the losses come against the teams that we expect them to come against, um, if they pull off a miracle win against Pittsburgh next week, and then blow it to you know Philly or someone. Uh, I'm going to be I'm going to be pretty frustrated um, that that's going to make things look much worse. And when you look at it as sort of a narrative arc. And I think the best possible version is that both teams enter week 17 with five wins, Washington. And Washington beats Philly to, to win the division. I mean, for a certain value of best possible, I totally agree with you. All right. Moving on, uh, we've got a rundown now. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, Mandalorian episode five. Any thoughts? 
Um, yeah, so spoilers for Mandalorian Episode 5. I'm actually much more curious to hear your thoughts because this one was real heavy on the outside the Mandalorian mythology, and I'm curious to hear what you thought of it as the sort of less nerdy guy. Yeah, well, I mean, it's part of, like, an expectations versus reality thing. Like, I just heard hype from, like, Friday to Sunday that, like, this was one of the best episodes ever. And I watched it Sunday night, and it was okay. It was fine. I, I didn't really care about the Jedi, uh, Rosario Dawson, with some interesting hair and makeup. Um, I guess that was hair. Is that hair? I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm sure it has some name. It's it's her head things, whatever they are. I don't know the name of it. So I was very mildly interested in that. It was good to get some backstory, like that she like knew Yoda and uh, had like some insight into the into uh like jedi culture (laughs) that she like what i didn't like is that she somehow knows baby yoda's name and now we have to call the child something that i I can't remember um i believe it's grogu i believe it's grogu yes like i just can't and also i don't know her name to begin with i can never remember her name i feel like the naming was was very bad on on a show where the naming is typically good so yeah, this was because this was we've talked before about how there's this weird balance in the show where there will be something and nerds like me are like, oh my god, I can't believe they did whatever X, Y, and Z. And you're like, hey, that was a cool story. I enjoyed it. I maybe I'll explore more. Um, this is the first time where they've brought in a character who is a huge. You know, so that was Ahsoka Tano. Do you know anything about her? Have you listened to the binge mode or, or anything like that? I know I know nothing about her except that she exists in the in the broader Star Wars universe. Okay, I'm going to do my like 20 second version of of the binge mode people uh, with less crying and probably less enthusiasm. But basically, she in story she was Anakin Skywalker's apprentice, and she's introduced as like a young child apprentice to him in the earliest Clone Wars um, cartoons. And then throughout the Clone Wars stories and then later in the Rebels series, she sort of grows and goes through an entire extended character arc. I mean, there's you could probably watch literally hours of the Ahsoka Tano. This is, this is in arc. the Clone Wars animated series. Correct. Followed by the okay. Rebels animated series. She comes back in the Rebels animated series and actually faces off against Darth Vader and has this whole thing where she gets kicked out of the Jedi order. And like, there's, there's, I mean, it's a, it is a long, long story. And so this is the first character where it's not just like a minor background detail. This is someone who for certain types of fans and certain generation of fans, a younger generation of fans than me, this is one of their like, icons especially young women star wars fans who came into it at a certain point um like she's this you know cool complicated character who's like a badass and who's you know whatever um so seeing her played by a would you call rosario dawson a-list uh certainly an a-list streaming actress if not an a-list movie actress um is like a capital bd big deal like and that's why I think they didn't feel like they needed to hammer her name. You know, if Luke Skywalker showed up in the show, they wouldn't like pause to be like, this is Luke Skywalker. Cause you know, everybody knows him. And I think they think Ahsoka has 
not the same level of recognition, obviously, but but some they're certainly the closest to it that we've seen. So that's why I was really interested to hear how it hit you as someone who knew none of that. I mean, it hit me like, oh, that's cool. She has two lightsabers. Yeah, and they're white, and there's a whole story about why they're white, and that's like cool <laughs> and like whatever. Binge mode really did do an entire episode on her. Like, when was full, this? Ah, uh, recently. It was. It was at the end of their Star Wars coverage. Okay, um, I was so, say, like binge mode isn't happening anymore, right? No, uh, well, it's it is. It's doing the, the Marvel it, universe. Yeah, so that's another Marvel blind movies. spot for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, those. I think those episodes are probably unlistenable if you do not. If you have not seen the Marvel movies a dozen times, I, I, I'm not going there. So yeah. I just I was most interested in two things. One is her like ability to communicate with the child, uh, aka Grogu. Like I was that was kind of fascinating. Um, but then the other thing is like, where were they? Why did it matter? It seemed like it was like this little village behind a big wall that uh, was set up just as like a prop for this week's episode. You know, it didn't it didn't strike me as like this society or planet or or whatever of any consequence. It just seemed like like a prop for for this week's adventure, and maybe so, that's fine. It, but it seemed to pull that off better most of the time. So Dave Filoni, who wrote and directed this episode, is one of the main guys behind um, the Clone Wars cartoon and the Rebels cartoon, and he is generally viewed as being the like I don't know how to put it, but like. Yeah, the keeper of the flame for like George Lucas's ideas. He's a Lucas mm-hmm. disciple who, even as the the franchises moved to Disney, he's kind of viewed as like the Lucasy guy. And I think part of being a Lucasy guy is that he is bad at writing dialogue and he is bad at directing actors. And I thought both of those things were on show this week. Um, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was a. I thought there was a lot of clunky stuff, like what you're saying with the world building, with the dialogue, with the people. But you know, I think they were counting on it just being cool to see Ahsoka. I don't know. Yeah, it it was good. I mean, I'm still in. I just, you know, I I, I felt it's as as the person who doesn't have like the background knowledge that that was felt this week in a way that normally it is not. Uh, but I, I look forward I to learning more be. about it. Like, now, is she, do you anticipate her being, like, part of the crew now? Or is she going to kind of come in and out of the story, like uh, Carl Weathers and Gino, I, what's her name, Gina Serrano? Is that her name? Uh, Gina Carano, yeah. Carano, uh, I yeah. think this was, a. I think this was probably a backdoor pilot for either um, standalone Ahsoka Disney Plus movies or a standalone Ahsoka miniseries. I think that, I don't think you cast Rosario Dawson and bring this character with all their baggage just to do a couple of guest spots. Um, also, you know, she they mentioned Grand Admiral Thrawn. I'm not going into this because neither of us has time for it. But suffice to say, the Grand Admiral Wait, that, Thrawn that is was also the boss. That big bad is a different big bad than the Giancarlo Esposito big bad. Correct. And Giancarlo Esposito is a new character for this series. We don't know much about him. Thrawn, again, much like Ahsoka, has novel, like seven novels about him and like appeared in the, the, the thing. So I think they're setting up a separate story for her. I think she'll show back up at the end of the season. Um, but I think mainly she's going to spin off into her own thing. That's what my gut says. Okay. Yeah, because they were pretty firmly planting the uh i'm going away now like 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 rosario dawson's going away and mando is is the child's father at this point (laughs) they're gonna go off on their merry adventures 
Yes, and and I think we'll follow them, and then I think she'll show back up for the finale in some dramatic role, and then I think she'll split off, and then they'll announce that she's having her own whatever it's going to be Disney Plus series, probably. So we have three more episodes left of these eight episode seasons. I, I guess so. and that was season one. Yeah, I think so. All right, bummer. Uh, what else you got? Um, we've been doing this thing, uh, where I, 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 do you do the thing where like, when you want to watch something, you wind up scrolling through the menu forever and just like never settle on. So what I started doing was I started using the various, like make a playlist or make a watch list feature or things. And just anything that looks interesting to me, I put it on there. And then when it's time for me to pick something to watch, instead of scrolling through the entire menu, I scroll through my watch list. So at least narrows it slightly. So I started occasionally watching these random movies that like caught my eye for some reason. Um, the most recent one was something called Anna and the apocalypse or Anna versus the apocalypse, which is a musical set at a Scottish high school. That is also a zombie movie that is truly, truly bizarre. It's like a cross between Glee and Shaun of the dead. Um, and we watched this late at night and really rather enjoyed it. And it's just, there's this whole sort of subgenre of movies that are pretty good and entertaining that you would literally never have heard about that you have to scroll to like 230th page of, you know, your streaming screen to get to that we started flipping. Them on. You're completely demoralized. Yeah. Yeah. But point. so, but, but actually watching them, it turns out they're kind of fun. We watched another one called guns akimbo, which is on Amazon prime, which is uh, the kid from Harry Potter, Daniel Radcliffe, who uh, winds up having guns bolted to his hands and put into like a running man style video game or not video game, but like a reality show, uh, like just weird stuff. And it's, it's very entertaining. And, you know, at whatever, 11 o'clock on a Saturday night, it's like perfect kind of midnight movie stuff. So I don't know. So my, my version of this is Netflix just added that um, play something feature. Oh, was where... it just like a random it, yeah, it's like it's like shuffle, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And so instead of going to the two hundred thirtieth page of the scroll, I just clicked on play something, expecting to get something like totally random, and I got the exact opposite. It was the Crown season one episode one, and it was weird because like my wife and I were sitting there on the couch when I did this, and we've been talking for like a week or two that like we should watch the Crown. And like, we're going to start it any night now. And it just hasn't been like the right time. But we've never like given Netflix any indication that we're, that we want to watch the crown. And I don't know. I know it's a popular show, but it does beg the question is Netflix listening. I always assume the answer is yes. Did you listen to the episode of reply all about if your phone is listening to you? Um, you know, when you're, when you think it's not, uh, as far as like yeah. advertising and Facebook and stuff, really good reply all episode. Uh, they, they claimed at the time, and this is probably a year or two ago that it was not, it's just, you don't realize that you have contextually referenced it other places that are scraped, maybe in Gchat or Facebook message or an email or something. Um, yes. Well, that's I, what I'm thinking here. Like, we've given enough information that Netflix could guess that we are circling around the crown. <laughs> like, like we just finished Queen's Gambit. We're probably yeah. pretty prime crown candidates, you know? Well, and I think that Netflix also, like, the crown especially, Netflix wants you to want to watch the crown. It is their right. mission in life to, to convince you that what you want is to watch the crown. So not entirely surprising that they're telling you, hey, why don't you watch the crown? 
Um, two other things real quick. Uh, one is we've made the full transition in our house to holiday music. Um, it's, it actually started, I think just before Thanksgiving, but we are now almost exclusively listening to, uh, my Epic Christmas time playlist on Spotify or one of my 30 holiday records on vinyl. Um, and I don't, I don't know what it is like about this season, but I don't, we don't listen to any of this outside of like, you know, late November to January one. But then when we're in that pocket, it's just, it's just nonstop. And we almost never tire of it. It's uncanny. It is uncanny. Uh, we had our first listen to a Charlie Brown Christmas not too long ago. I, I have a pretty it's amazing. It's, ama- it's an amazing record. <laughs> it's a great record. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of the Low Christmas album. Do you listen to that at all? Oh no, I never really listen to Low to begin with. But is it like kind of morose indie Christmas? Yeah, totally. It's like a droning, borderline shoegaze, dirge-like Christmas album. It's great. Highly recommend it. Yeah, see, I like that stuff. Like, I love when a band I normally listen to has a a christmas song but like my wife kind of hates it she likes the traditional you know and she'll like branch out into like you know soul and blues christmas you know but like she doesn't want anything from basically the last like 30 to 40 years um so like his gold messenger has a christmas song i really love (laughs) um the band to go back like 40 years has a christmas song i totally love i love when a a a group like that a band i like i like uh does like the one song and yeah, if my morning jacket has a couple, um, yeah, I'm into those. When I was, uh, when I worked at the CD store many years ago, when CD stores were a thing that existed, uh, you know, I'd come the holidays, we'd put at least one holiday CD into the CD changer that was in the store when CD changers were a thing that existed. And, um, uh, there was, I, I want to say it was a Stax Christmas record or maybe a Motown. I don't remember which it was one or the other, maybe both that were great um i'll have to dig that well so well soul christmas might be the one you're referring to um it's got like otis redding yes on it. yeah there's like that's... two or three otis redding tracks uh that's that one's pretty revered and i actually got that one for christmas last year as like the vinyl reissue and the vinyl is like a white vinyl with red and green flecks all up in the all up in the paint it's beautiful it's a prized possession for sure and and of course the uh, you know problematic fave the Phil Spector Christmas album is also well, pretty terrific. Yeah, that is the greatest Christmas album of all. I mean, I think that and Charlie Brown with the Vince, uh, what's his name, Giraldi trio. Yeah. yeah, I think those are the two like unbeatable Christmas records because there's a couple duds on the Soul Christmas. Well, see, um, sim- similarly in in our house, uh, we think that uh, the Hanukkah song version three is obviously the no-brainer all-time best Hanukkah song, but uh, Hanukkah song number one um, has a sort of nostalgic pull, and uh, the, number two is just not as good. I think we all know that. Um, those being the <laughs> only Hanukkah song. Uh, there was a uh, contrary to that. I was listening to the Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings holiday album. Because uh, there's some some bangers on there. Shout out to Silent Night. Uh, the first track is a Hanukkah song, but I don't know what I can't remember what the title was or anything about it. But the first track on the Sharon Jones Holiday album is a Hanukkah song. I will look it up, and uh, we can re- reconvene on that um, next yeah. time. Just FYI, <laughs> Just oh, it's, 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 good, it's good to have something other than Adam Sandler in the house. Um, so um, you know, that gets any closing t- any closing thoughts. 
Uh, none, none made. Oh, one other music thing that I listened to was Smashing Pumpkins has a new album out, and I put it on for some reason, and it, it was not as awful as I expected. That's all. Um, is there any is there any gimmick to it? Is it like a a updated take on Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, or is it just no, a new Smashing I'm, Pumpkins record? Allegedly, they're doing that, but this is not that. This sounds more like uh, a sequel to Adore. It's definitely very synth-heavy. It's definitely one of the ones where you realize, like, why they covered Depeche Mode back in 1994. Um, uh, it's 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 not terrible to my ear. I liked sort of what they were doing. I thought they um, it really makes it clear that if you followed the Smashing Pumpkins path from a door, they basically just turn into Imagine Dragons for better or for worse. Um, all of that said, my wife walked into the room when it was on and said, is this a band trying to sound like the Smashing Pumpkins? What year is this from? This is absolutely horrible. So, you know, your mileage may vary. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm out. Um, although being very in on the Pumpkins from like Siamese Dream through a door that like there was like a three or four record run there over the course of like the early to late nineties that, yeah, it was great. Well, they also, to to close the loop on it, they had a terrific Christmas song and I don't remember what it was, but I really, yeah, it was on one of their special Christmas albums. It was, um, I don't know. It's, it was, it was very much, it sounded like a melancholy B side. Um, and it was on one of the very special Christmas compilations and, uh, yeah, it was delightful. Oh, you know what? A Tom Petty Christmas song that was on a very special Christmas compilation came on my playlist shuffle the other day. And yeah, that was that was a great that was a wonderful moment. It was just nice knowing that there's like a, an awesome Tom Petty Christmas song out there anytime you want it. And that is it, it warms the cockles of my heart. All right, man. Well, I guess that's it. Uh, we'll see what happens with Pittsburgh. Talk to you next yep. week. Yep. Talk to you next week.